Hello, and welcome to the Night Sky Guide for July 2018. This is Andrew Jacob, and I'm the curator at Sydney Observatory, part of Sydney's Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences. Come on a tour of the night sky with me. Learn what stars and constellations are visible, where to find the planets, and what special events are happening overhead this month. To make the most of this guide, you should begin by gathering a few items together. Firstly, you will need a star map. You can download a free one from Sydney Observatory's website, where you'll find it in the Astronomy Resources section under Monthly Sky Guides. The star map will show you what stars and constellations are visible in the night sky this month, and I'll be referring to that star map in this guide. As well as the star map, a torch with a red LED, or one covered with a few layers of red cellophane, will be very useful. The red light will allow your eyes to remain dark-adapted during the evening, yet still allow you to read your star map. Finally, a pair of binoculars or a telescope can be very handy. They're not essential for following this guide, but if you do have them, they will help you see a few of the fainter objects more easily and in more detail. Now that we have our equipment together, we need to know a few directions and also how to measure angles across the sky. You can find the cardinal directions, north, south, east and west, from a compass app on your mobile device, Or just remember, of course, that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And if the sun is setting at your right shoulder, then you must be facing south. Another useful direction to remember is the zenith. This is the point directly overhead. To find your way around the night sky, it helps to know how to measure angles across it. It makes no sense to say, for instance, that one star is two centimetres to the left of another or that a shooting star left a trail half a metre long. Instead, we should use angular measurements. The distance around the horizon, from north through east, south, west and back to north, is 360 degrees. And from the horizon, vertically upwards to the zenith overhead, is 90 degrees. But how do we measure smaller angles? Well, despite the great variety of human form... Our fingers, hands and arms are all pretty much in the same proportions. If you hold your hand out at arm's length and stretch out your little finger and thumb to make a handspan, they span an angle across the sky of about 20 degrees. A fist held out at arm's length makes an angle across the sky of about 10 degrees. And a finger held up at arm's length is about one degree or twice the width of the moon or the sun. I'll be using these measurements during this guide. So a handspan at arm's length is 20 degrees, a fist is about 10 degrees, and a single finger is about one degree across the sky. One final point to note before we get started. The Earth rotates, and so the sky changes hour by hour. My descriptions of the constellations and stars in this guide fit the time of one to two hours after sunset. And in July, the nights are long and cold, so please dress for the occasion. Let us begin our tour of the night sky by looking towards the south. If you're facing south in the early evening and you look high in the sky, 60 degrees or three handspans up from the horizon, you should be able to see two bright stars almost side by side, about three fingers' width apart. If you're in a bright, light-polluted location, such as central Sydney, 
They may be the only two stars you can see in that direction. Away from the city and other bright lights, they'll be the brightest pair of stars you see towards the south. These two bright stars, side by side, are known as the pointers, so named because they help us find the Southern Cross by pointing towards it. We'll get, get back to the cross soon. On your star map, the pointers are clearly labelled. The Southern Cross is officially known as Crux, which is Latin for cross. The brighter of the two pointers is called Alpha Centauri. The other one is called Beta Centauri. Alpha Centauri is the third brightest star in the night sky, while Beta Centauri is the tenth brightest star. Alpha Centauri is a very interesting star. Although it looks like a single star to your eye, it is in fact a group of three. Two stars are so close your eye cannot separate them, and the third is too faint to see. Through telescopes, the two close stars are usually visible. Both are very similar in size and colour to our sun. They're orbiting about each other, with each orbit taking about 80 years. The third star in the system is called Proxima Centauri, and it is the closest star to the Earth, after our Sun, of course, but it's too faint to see by eye. Proxima Centauri is a red dwarf star and is only visible through large telescopes. It's believed to be orbiting the first two stars. Proxima Centauri is about 4.2 light-years away, or approximately 42 million million kilometres. Recently, a planet was detected in orbit around Proxima Centauri. This makes it the closest planet beyond the eight in our own solar system, a very tempting target to send the first interstellar spacecraft to. But that's for the future. A moment ago, I mentioned light years. What is a light year? It's a measure of distance, even if it sounds like a time. If you have a torch, shine its light into the sky for a moment. The light from your torch travels incredibly fast. In just one second, it goes almost 300,000 kilometres. That's seven and a half times around the Earth, or almost the distance to the moon in just one second. In fact, in just one and a quarter seconds, your torchlight would reach the moon, 380,000 kilometres away. In eight and a half minutes, the light would reach our sun, 150 million kilometres from Earth. And after five hours, light from your torch would pass Pluto. Finally, after one year of time, your torchlight will have travelled one light year of distance. Yet we still haven't reached the next nearest star. Proxima Centauri, our closest star after the sun, is about 42 million million kilometres away from us. Your torchlight would take about 4.2 years to reach it. So we can say that Proxima Centauri is about 4.2 light years away from Earth. This also means that we see Proxima Centauri, the star, as it was about 4.2 years ago. We are looking into the past to see everything in the universe. So a light year is simply a distance, and one light year is about 10 million million kilometres long. Now, let's get back to the night sky. We'll return to Alpha Centauri. If you draw an imaginary line from Alpha Centauri to the right through Beta Centauri, the other pointer star, and onward 
you'll reach the Southern Cross. Well, nearly so. The line you've drawn passes just above the cross. At first glance, the cross may look like a triangle, but the fourth star soon becomes clear. In July, the Southern Cross is at its highest point in the sky, standing upright and looking just as it does on the Australian flag. In fact, our flag can help you identify the shape of the cross in the sky. The Southern Cross is very useful as it can help us find the direction of true south. Hold your hand out at arm's length and measure the length of the long arm of the cross using two fingers, from the top star of the cross to the bottom star. Now, measure this distance downwards four times in the direction the long arm of the cross is pointing. After measuring four times downwards, you should find yourself pointing at the sky about halfway between the cross and the horizon. This point is called the South Celestial Pole, the South Pole of the sky. It's the point in the sky about which all the stars appear to rotate over the course of the night. In contrast to the Northern Hemisphere, where there's a North Star, here no bright star marks the South Celestial Pole. It's just an imaginary point in the sky. And now, if you drop a vertical line from the South Celestial Pole straight down to the horizon, you have found the direction of true south on the ground. Here's something interesting you can do if you have a camera that allows you to leave the shutter open or an app that allows you to make star trail photos. If you take a photograph of the sky to the south, including the South Celestial Pole, and leave your camera shutter open for 10 minutes or more, you'll find beautiful circular star trails in your photograph. Look back at the Southern Cross. The brightest star of the cross, the one at its foot, is called Acrux. It's labelled with the Greek symbol Alpha on your star map. Moving clockwise around the cross, we come to Mimosa on the left, then at the top of the cross, Gacrux, and finally on the right is Delta Crucis. Acrux, at the foot of the cross, is another multiple star system, like Alpha Centauri, but this one is about 320 light years away from us. Mimosa, on the left, is about 108 light years away. If you have binoculars, use them to view Mimosa. Now, the star itself is not too interesting, but look just to its left and you will see a small sparkling group or cluster of faint stars in the shape of a triangle. Astronomers call this type of object an open cluster, and this one is named the jewel box. It's a group of young stars, not more than 15 million years old, about 5,000 light years away. This cluster looks much better through any telescope when stars of different colours, red, yellow, or just plain white, are seen. If you have an eye for colour, you may notice that Gacrux at the top of the cross is orange. It is a cool red giant star, much larger than our sun. It's only 88 light years away, so it's the closest of the four main stars of the Southern Cross. The Southern Cross appears on the Australian flag, of course. The flag designers did a very good job of representing the Stellar Cross. 
The two axes are slightly skew, and there's a fifth star, which appears fainter in the sky than the four stars I've just named, and therefore smaller on the flag. This fifth star is called Epsilon Crucis. It appears on your star map between bright Acrux and Delta Crucis on the right. Surrounding the Southern Cross is the constellation of Centaurus, the centaur. His front leg is the pointer stars. His back arches over the cross, and his back leg hooks down to the right of the cross. A centaur is a half-man, half-horse creature holding a bow loaded with an arrow. His head and upper body lie above the pointers. But if you can make out the features of a man's head and torso here, then I admire your imagination. Just above the centaur's back is a wonderful object called Omega Centauri. It's labelled on your star map, but you'll only see it by eye if you're in a completely dark site, far from artificial light, with no moon up, and if your eyes have adjusted to the darkness. From a bright, light-polluted area, you will need binoculars at least to spot it. Omega Centauri is a globular cluster of stars, a ball-shaped group of several million stars, tightly packed and about 16,000 light-years away. There are over a hundred of these globular clusters scattered around our Milky Way galaxy, but this one is the largest and brightest. Well, that covers the southern sky. Let's now turn to the west. To orient your star map to the western sky, rotate it so that the horizon labelled west is at the bottom. The constellation of Leo the Lion, one of the constellations of the zodiac, lies very close to the western horizon. Its brightest star, Regulus, meaning little king, is about a hand span above the horizon at around 6.30pm. However, it sets around 7.30pm this month. Regulus is a hot star, a hundred times brighter than our own sun, and about 77 light-years away. Above Leo is another zodiac constellation, Virgo. This figure is associated with the virgin goddess Astraea of the Greeks, and also with the Greek and Roman goddesses of wheat and agriculture, Demeter to the Greeks and Ceres to the Romans. Her human form is hard to make out in the sky, but the constellation's brightest star is Spica, at about 60 degrees, or three handspans, above the western horizon. Spica is Latin for ear of wheat, and Virgo holds this wheat, perhaps fresh from the harvest, reflecting the theme of agriculture, but also of fertility. The two stars, Regulus and Spica, lie on a line that crosses the sky called the ecliptic. You can see it drawn in your star map as a dashed line. This line, the ecliptic, marks the apparent path of the sun through the sky, and along this line you will also find the planets and our moon, but more about them later. Let's now turn to the north. Again, rotate your map so north is at the bottom of the map. You'll notice an orange-red star due north, about 37 degrees, or just over one and a half handspans, above the northern horizon. This is the star Arcturus, in the constellation Boötes the Herdsman. But once again, his human form is difficult to make out. Finally, 
we turn to the east. Face due east, hold out your arm and measure three handspans plus a fist upwards to make 70 degrees above the eastern horizon or almost overhead. You should see a bright orange-coloured star. Again, to orient your star map, rotate it so that the horizon labelled east is at the bottom. The map should now match the eastern sky in front of you. I've noted the colours of several stars so far, but I remember having great trouble seeing colours in stars when I first began looking at the sky. So if you don't see the colours I described tonight, don't worry. This star, almost overhead, is called Antares, which means the rival of Mars, because of its reddish colour. It's an enormous red supergiant star, around 400 times the diameter of our Sun. If you placed it where our Sun is, it would reach out through the solar system and engulf the Earth. Antares is about 604 light-years away from the Earth. It's a star coming to the end of its life. It will eventually die by exploding in a cataclysmic supernova, destroying itself in the process. However, it's so far away that this will have no effect on the Earth, although it will be a spectacularly bright sight. Unfortunately, it will also be a few hundred thousand years before this happens. Antares is the heart of Scorpius, the scorpion, one of the few constellations that really looks like its name. If you have your star map with you, hold it up towards the east, with the east horizon at the bottom as I described earlier, and locate the star Antares. Just above Antares, you'll see a short arc of stars which represent the head and shoulders of the scorpion. Look back past Antares and out to the right, you will see a curving arc of stars reaching across to the right, the scorpion's body, then an arc of stars hooking down and back to the left, his tail. At the very end of his tail, you can see his sting quite clearly. Finally, here's a constellation that really does resemble its name. Let's move on. Below the sting of Scorpius is the constellation Sagittarius, which is supposed to represent an archer in the form of a centaur. But I've never been able to see an archer, let alone a centaur, when I look at this set of stars. All I can see is a rather triangular teapot. On your star map, Sagittarius is highlighted as the teapot. Can you see the teapot pouring tea all over the tail of Scorpius? Just off the tip of the teapot is an interesting point in the sky. If you're away from bright city lights and you've been outdoors for more than 15 minutes or so to allow your eyes to adjust to the darkness, you might have noticed the Milky Way stretching overhead. It's a band of faint Milky Light stretching from the Southern Cross past the two-pointer stars and continuing overhead through the tail of Scorpius, through Sagittarius and finally down to the eastern horizon. The centre of our Milky Way galaxy lies just above the tip of the teapot, not far from the sting of Scorpius. It's a good thing we're out here near the edge of the Milky Way galaxy and a long way from the centre, because at the centre of our galaxy, 27,000 light-years away, lies a very large black hole over 4 million times the mass of our Sun. We're quite safe from it, out here towards the edge of the galaxy. 
If you haven't already succumbed to the cold, and if you have binoculars handy, here is your observing challenge for July. Slowly scan the region of Sagittarius, Scorpius, and over to the Southern Cross and beyond. In this region, there are many open clusters, like the Jewel Box, globular clusters, like Omega Centauri, multiple stars, like Acrux and Alpha Centauri, and nebulae, like the Orion Nebula we met in January's guide. It shouldn't take long before you discover at least one of each for yourself. Now we've completed our tour of the sky for July. What are the special events and highlights in July 2018? Let me first note that all the times I mention here are in Eastern Australian Standard Time, or the time a clock would show in the Eastern States. Please make the appropriate adjustments for your time zone where necessary. This month we are in for a planetary bonanza, with five naked-eye planets all visible at once, Mars at its best since 2003, Venus dominating the western horizon. Plus, there's a partial solar eclipse for Tasmania, and a total lunar eclipse for everyone, which turns the moon red. It's a very busy month, so I'll describe these chronologically, I think, and end on Mars. But first, there's a historical anniversary to note. July the 4th marks the 150th anniversary of the birth of Henrietta Leavitt, She was an astronomer working in the early 1900s at the Harvard College Observatory in the United States. She discovered that some stars that vary in brightness have a very distinct relationship between their average brightness and the period or time over which they change their brightness. This is now known as the Levitt Law in her honour. The relationship was later used to establish that other galaxies were island universes in their own right, and not just spiral clouds within our own galaxy, the Milky Way. Overnight, our concept of the size of the universe was completely transformed. Now let's begin with the moon phases. The month begins with a last quarter moon on Friday the 6th at 5.51pm. New moon falls on Friday the 13th, at 12.48pm. First quarter is on Friday the 20th at 5.52am. And finally, full moon occurs on Saturday the 27th of July at 6.20am. The moon is the brightest object in the night sky when it's up, no matter what phase it is in. It's well worth observing its changing phases or looking closely at the craters, planes and other features with binoculars or a telescope. But to get the best views of the Milky Way and the constellations, it's best to avoid moonlit hours. How can you do this? Well, if the moon is between new and full, that is, waxing, wait for it to set before observing the Milky Way and the stars. If the moon is between full and new, or waning, observe before it rises. You don't need a daily list of rise and set times. Just watch the moon for a few days and you'll soon learn to predict its behaviour. July 2018 starts out with Earth at its furthest point from the Sun, or aphelion. This happens on Saturday, July the 7th at 2.47am. At that time, we will be just over 152 million kilometres from the Sun. On July 13, there's a partial eclipse of the Sun. Only the very southern parts of Australia will get to see any part of it. From southeastern South Australia and the coastal areas of Victoria, from the South Australian border 
through Melbourne to Lake's entrance, barely a sliver of the sun is covered by the moon. Tasmania gets the best view, although even then, it's the tiniest of bites out of the sun. From Hobart, this partial eclipse begins at 12.52pm and ends at 1.24pm. Please remember that this is a solar eclipse, so eye protection must be used when trying to view it. Venus is the evening planet at present, shining brightly, brighter at night than anything except the moon, in the western sky after sunset. On the 10th, Venus is just one degree, a finger's width or two moon widths, to the right of Regulus, the brightest star in Leo. This may help you identify Regulus, which I noted earlier in this podcast. On July the 16th, there's a much nicer pairing. Venus will be just to the right and above the thin crescent moon. Venus is joined in the evening sky by Mercury, low in the west, and the planets Mars, Jupiter and Saturn. In fact, from July 14 through to July 23rd, all five naked-eye planets plus the moon will be visible in the evening sky at once. In the morning sky, Mars and Saturn, having been up all night, will be setting in the west. And now we come to Mars, the highlight of the highlights this month and beyond. Mars is at its closest and brightest to Earth, and, through a telescope, looks larger than it has at any time since 2003. And it won't look like this again until 2035, 17 years from now. If you have a telescope or book a night tour at Sydney Observatory to view with our telescopes, you might see the polar ice caps, surface features and maybe even a dust storm. Don't miss it. Mars is further from the Sun than Earth and so takes longer to orbit the Sun. Every roughly two years and two months, Earth catches up and overtakes Mars, like an Olympic runner on the inside track. At this point, the planets are relatively close. Mars appears bright in the nighttime sky, and we see Mars in detail when we use a telescope. When the Sun, Earth and Mars are lined up, we call this an opposition. Mars is opposite the Sun in the sky. This year, the opposition of Mars occurs on July the 27th at 3.13pm. But Mars will look good through a telescope throughout July and August, and astronomers loosely refer to Mars being at opposition throughout this whole period of time. But why is Mars so good this year? Mars has a particularly elliptical or oval orbit. Well, if you drew the orbit on a piece of paper, you wouldn't see the oval shape, but it is more oval than all the other major planets except Mercury. Earth's orbit is also slightly elliptical, and in July, Earth reaches its furthest point from the Sun, as I've just mentioned. This all means that at every 7th or 8th opposition, or every 15 to 17 years, Mars and Earth are particularly close, and we have what we call a favourable opposition. Back in 2003, at the last favourable opposition, Mars appeared as its largest and closest for 60,000 years. This year it will appear about 97% as as big as it was back then, so it's still well worth a look. And it gets even better. At present, Mars is high overhead from Australia. We're in the ringside seat down here. From Europe and North America, Mars is low to the horizon and difficult to see. 
The ellipticity of Mars orbit means it reaches its closest point to Earth a few days after its opposition on July 27th. So while Mars is opposite or in line with the Sun on July 27th, we wait till July the 31st for it to reach its closest point to Earth. At that time, it will be 57.6 million kilometres from us. What should you look for by eye? By eye, we will see Mars in the constellation of Capricornus. Throughout most of July, it will be brighter than Jupiter. But despite its name, the red planet never looks traffic light red, particularly at these opposition times. It's more a pale orange or yellowish colour. By eye, you will also see Mars in retrograde motion. What's that? Well, Mars, like the outer planets Jupiter and Saturn, slowly drifts past the stars along the ecliptic line towards the east. Observing it weekly should be enough to spot this. But as the Earth passes between the Sun and Mars, Mars appears to reverse direction and move westwards. This backwards or retrograde movement is just a relative effect, like perceiving a car on a highway to be moving backwards as you overtake it. Mars moves in this retrograde motion from June the 29th through to August the 28th. What can you see through a telescope? Only during favourable oppositions are the surface features of Mars readily visible. Through a telescope you have the opportunity to see the polar ice caps, morning frosts, clouds, dark markings, only some of which correspond to physical surface features, and maybe even a dust storm. This year, it's spring in the southern hemisphere of Mars. You should spot the remains of the south polar ice cap, which has been shrinking over the last month or two. Pale frosts might appear near the morning edge of the planet. Sometimes clouds are seen streaming downwind from the top of the volcanoes of the Tharsis region, or even from Olympus Mons itself, a 25-kilometre-high volcano, three times higher than Mount Everest, whose peak is as good as in space compared to the plains surrounding it. One of the most obvious surface features is Certus Major, a dark triangular projection that crosses the equator. It is in fact an enormous shield volcano, a shallow, very broad volcano. Dust storms often blow up in the Martian spring. They spread across the plains, covering and disguising familiar features. Some dust storms become global and veil Mars in a planet-wide yellow-orange coat, obliterating completely all view of the surface. Remember that Mars is half the diameter of Earth and is still 57 million kilometres away. Surface features, clouds and so on can be hard to detect at first through a telescope. Observing the planet takes patience and persistence. Ideally, wait till Mars is high overhead to get the best seeing or the best view through Earth's seething atmosphere. And Mars rotates in almost the same time as Earth does, 24 hours and 38 minutes. So to see its various faces, watch it for a few hours on one night or at the same time for successive nights. Make the most of this favourable opposition of Mars. While we are spoilt for images from spacecraft and landers, this is the best view human eyes will get for quite some time. And as if all that planetary activity wasn't enough, the solar system throws in one last event to keep you sleepless for July. Early on the morning of July the 28th, just hours after Mars reaches opposition, 
there's a total lunar eclipse. Look to the west from about 5.30am for Sydney and the eastern states, from about 5am for Adelaide and Darwin, and from about 3.30am for Perth. The moon will be beside Mars, and over the next hour and a half, the moon moves into Earth's shadow and turns a dark red colour. The red planet, accompanied by the reddened moon, will descend together towards the western horizon. From some locations, Brisbane, Sydney, Canberra, the eastern states, both objects set before the eclipse ends. So, a total lunar eclipse and Mars at opposition within 24 hours of each other, and on the same day in some parts of the world. How rare is that? I made a careful check of some planetary opposition and lunar eclipse tables, and such a pairing has not happened since the year zero, and won't occur in the next thousand years. As best I can determine, it's a once-in-three-thousand-year event. Something else not to be missed in July. And one last thing before you collapse from a July astronomy overload. This will be the longest total lunar eclipse this century, counting from the year 2001 to the year 2100. It's 102 minutes and 50 seconds long, because the Moon passes almost through the centre of Earth's shadow during this eclipse, and it's also at its furthest point from Earth, its apogee, in this particular orbit, where it travels at its slowest. What a month. If you've enjoyed this night sky guide and want to regularly check out what's in the night sky, why not purchase a copy of Sydney Observatory's annual guide, the Australasian Sky Guide. It's jam-packed with monthly astronomical information, including rise and set times for the sun, moon and planets, tide times and a detailed look at our solar system and upcoming astronomical events. It's available from Sydney Observatory and the Mars Store, or you can purchase it online, for which some additional costs apply. For more astronomical information, check our website and blogs at mars.museum slash sydneyobservatory. Keep in touch via our Facebook and Twitter accounts. And if you're in Sydney, visit the observatory in the Rocks area. Join a tour to view the skies through our telescopes. Visit our Space Theatre or the Sydney Planetarium. Tour our exhibition for free and discover the history of Australian astronomy. But please check our website for details and be aware not all activities are free and some require bookings. And that brings to an end this night sky guide from Sydney Observatory and from me, Andrew Jacob. Thank you for listening and I wish you clear skies until next time.